0: Us humans fancy ourselves rational creatures. We verbalise, analyse, intellectualise, yet we experience so many things in our lives that are inexplicable, inexpressible and unquantifiable. 2020 has been a pretty solid year in that sense. Part of the appeal of music, for me, is its ability to express these sticky and tricky bits in life. It helps us to anchor to something when we're feeling down and out, and it's a key part of ritual. This is my older brother, Matt, singing at our Grandpa Leo Redlick's funeral in 2010. Matt's playing guitar too, and that other voice you're about to hear is me. I can tell that we're nervous here because of how fast we're going and how tight our voices sound. We're singing an old gospel track called Jesus Gonna Make Up My Dying Bed, originally recorded by Blind Willie Johnson but Bob Dylan has done it, Pop Staples, even Lydia Lunch and Roland S. Howard did a version together. That was a hard day. Losing my pa, Leo, our last remaining grandparent, felt like the trunk of a huge tree had disappeared and it had left all of these branches suspended without an anchor point. And that feeling has never really gone away. I've just gotten used to it. But singing that song at the service gave me a purpose that day and a place to put my anxiety and grief. My grandpa was a pretty religious man, a devout Baptist. Religion had given his family hope and helped them make sense of a very hard life. They were slaves in Latvia before they spent time as free people in Siberia before they came to Australia. Growing up, dancing was considered evil in Pa's family. The oft-told family story when I was a kid was about the time that Pa dared to play a tango record on a Sunday. The record was La Paloma, sung by the Chilean nightingale, Rosita Serrano. We're listening to it now. My great-grandpa Fritz reacted by taking the record to the chopping block and hacking it to bits with an ax never repeated his misdemeanour. As kids, this story elicited equal parts amazed laughter and wide-eyed terror from Matt and I. This religious influence in our family had been watered down by the time it got to us, but we further rebelled against it. When we were kids, I definitely looked up to Matt and the music that blasted out of his room. So much stuff. Devo, the doors and the stones then Chuck Berry, John Lee Hooker, Helen Wolf and all sorts of old blues and gospel music. Singing this song with its sentiment felt like a bridge between all of these different values and ideas about belief and ways of expressing it of recognising and respecting the belief system of a man we loved so much. It allowed us to come at it from a place of authenticity and integrity without necessarily sharing those beliefs exactly. And so we're going to end this season of All Ears at the end. The last waltz, the big sleep, and look at the role music plays in death. As the well-worn saying goes, there are two certainties in life. Death and taxes, and when it comes to death and the shock and grief we experience at the loss of those we love, rituals provide us with sometimes the only comfort we can get at that time, whatever those rituals may be. And music has a special place in this.
1: They're mnemonic devices, you know, that just brings back floods of uh, of emotion and memory. I'm Linda, and uh, I was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. I started getting interested in um, death rituals when my father passed away, and I really didn't know how to deal with it. So I made it a study of mine.
0: Dr. Linda Sun-Crowder is a cultural anthropologist in Orange County, California. Her area of speciality is death and burial practices, specifically researching these practices in the regions of Southeast Asia and China. She lectures at California State University and has developed a class on death and burial practices.
1: Rituals are very important. Rituals help connect with each other, to connect with the supernatural. It helps tether us to our past, helps bridge transitions as we move on with our loss, the changes in family dynamics, and you know the fact that there's someone missing. Rituals help to provide stages of connection to either deal with the present by giving us something special to do that's distinctive from our our usual activities. And it helps transition us from the past to the present to the future. And it also helps to reconnect with the spirit world. It's all about communication, connections, and transitions. They're very important.
0: Learning about her ancestors' cultural traditions surrounding death was a comforting revelation for Linda, but it wasn't something she'd learned from her parents.
1: My mother was from China. She was born in uh, Beijing, but her family was quite uh, westernized. She ran with a rather cosmopolitan crowd, so she really didn't know much about old Chinese traditions and had no interest in them. She met my dad when He was stationed in Beijing during World War II. He was in the American army. He was from Honolulu. He apparently didn't have an interest in the old customs either. You know, they were of the generation where they were trying to acculturate into American society, and um, they raised me to be more American, so I didn't really even um, learn Chinese at home.
0: There are so many different elements to a Chinese funeral. They vary, of course, from family to family and how traditional or modern the service is. But there are some key ideas around the very nature of death that are important to distinguish.
1: In the Chinese worldview, the separation from the physical world and the spiritual world is basically like a thin membrane a gauzy curtain and ghosts can come into our world and we can communicate with the spirit world. So there's a lot of transition back and forth. It's not as clear-cut as in the Western worldview. The Western of view of death is more linear based on the the Christian belief that what you do in this life is determined by your choices and the consequences uh, occur when you die and your soul either goes to heaven or hell and it's final so once the deceased is is buried the living has to deal with the separation on their own in comparison with the the chinese worldview, you may be dead but you continue to live on as a member of the family So there is this ongoing interactive relationship between the living members of the family and the deceased members.
0: Let's do a little overview on what Chinese Confucian belief is about what happens after we die. There are three different parts of the spirit, depending on the historical period of China, up to 18, but most generally, three. At death, one aspect of the soul goes to the grave. Another aspect is imbued in a named tablet at the family altar where offerings can be made, so that a part of the deceased is always with the family. And the third aspect will travel to either the stages of hell or on to paradise. When a person dies, their soul is disembodied and it's in a very confused state. It doesn't know what to do with itself. So there are rituals that try and keep the soul hovering close to the corpse until both the corpse and the soul can be safely and ritually contained in the grave.
1: Until that point, there's a lot of danger that the soul can be lost. It can be distracted away from the corpse, and that way it won't be joined with the corpse and the grave. And the grave is important because that's where offerings are made.
0: If the soul is lost, it joins a legion of hungry, mischievous ghosts who have not transitioned because they weren't given a proper burial. It's believed that these ghosts were perhaps orphaned or died tragically, lost at sea or in battle, where there was either no family to bury them and make offerings, or no body to bury. These ghosts, in their jealousy, try to entice the spirit away from the body to join their vagabond group. In order to protect the living and the spirit of the deceased, There are all sorts of distraction rituals for the mischievous ghosts, like throwing spirit money, which is basically little white pieces of paper. There are rituals to feed the spirit, which involve presenting actual food at the grave of the deceased, so the spirit can be nurtured by food essences. It gets eaten later by the family and guests, so nothing is wasted. And there are rituals to keep the deceased person happy in the afterlife.
1: Offerings are made, Um, offerings that might include um, music, incense, burning um, mock paper money, and paper mache uh, figures such as homes, servants, iPhones, cars, clothing, mahjong sets, anything that a person needed in life to be happy. And to sustain themselves, the spirit would also in the spirit realm. Because in the Chinese worldview, the spirit world mirrors the the physical world. They even now have created a paper Viagra that you can burn because you want to keep grandpa happy. (laughs) So the, the Chinese, if nothing else, they're very practical. So you have a lot of rituals to perpetuate life in the spirit world. But what about
0: music? Is it as important in the spirit world as it is to us mortals?
1: Music serves to connect one realm to another, from the physical world to the spirit world. You can't see music. It's something that's up in the air and it diffuses into the air. So it's an excellent vehicle for rituals concerning the supernatural. Music also serves to keep the ghosts attracted. And there's different uses for the music. In, in traditional China, depending on the wealth of the family and its devotion to the deceased, a very wealthy family, for example, would have a funeral that would last many days, and people would come from all over. And music and entertainment would be used to amuse the guests, and uh, they would often stage operas um, or have singers and entertainment. And that's for the guests as well as for the spirit and the spirit of ancestors that may be present or of any lingering spirits that might be about, even the hungry ghosts, to appease them, as well as for the soul of the deceased.
0: Music also sets the mood. Linda says that in traditional cultures like old China, you need to keep in a mournful frame of mind as it shows your devotion to the departed family member. It is an important aspect of filial piety, which is a cornerstone of Confucian belief. Music also acts as a warning. In traditional China, harsh and dissonant music just like this is used for funerals. It broadcasts that there's a death in the area, which is important as there's a belief that certain types of people need to avoid funerals and dead bodies. For instance, there's a belief that pregnant women should stay away in order to protect their unborn child from death heirs.
1: Different Chinese groups will have different types of funeral elements, props for protection. I remember when my uh, grandparents died, one of my aunts said to keep a piece of onion wrapped in a pomelo leaf on me to ward off death heirs and evil and it worked because you smelled so bad nothing would come near you <laughs> you know garlic for vampires onions for evil evil spirit and of course music but there's so many elements within sacred rituals or anything to do with the supernatural worldwide cross culturally that are transmitted into the air You think about incense, smell, and smoke. It all dissipates into the air. Music and scents, they all go upward, and it expands a ritual space. You always smell something and hear it before you see it. It envelops participants. It creates a ritual space, and it also is a very good communication and transportation device. Food essences, aromas, sound, they all are transported and are become invisible.
0: Linda was looking at focusing her research on the death rituals of the Tarajan people, an ethnic group indigenous to mountain areas of South Sulawesi in Indonesia. That was until she came across something very surprising, much closer to home.
1: So on one of my trips to San Francisco, I was going to Chinatown to eat and came across this marching band and they looked like a Salvation Army marching band in their uniforms. And I thought, oh, is there some kind of a special occasion going on? So I followed the band and it was for a funeral.
0: Linda had stumbled across the Green Street Mortuary Band, an absolute institution of San Francisco. This is them playing Going Home by composer Antonin Dvorak. Her interest was piqued at the discovery of this tradition that seemed to exist and thrive specifically in San Francisco's Chinatown. And thrive is almost an understatement. At the time, which was the early 90s, the band were marching in over 700 funerals a year.
1: I was amazed because I'm Chinese and there is a huge Chinese community in Honolulu and I had never seen such a procession.
0: She ended up basing her PhD research in the oldest Chinatown in the USA, in San Francisco, and it focused on public ritual procession and the Green Street Mortuary Band. Now, I have long been aware of the Green Street Mortuary Band. My dad used to spend lots of time working in San Francisco, and my parents would always tell me about how great it was seeing them march through Chinatown. Thanks for the tip, Mum and Dad. The story of the band is more interesting than I could have imagined, and the people who are in it ahead of a trip to the USA, I make some phone calls to the mortuary. The time difference between Melbourne, Australia and San Francisco, USA makes it tricky to get in touch. And then when I do, it's a little complex explaining why I'm calling. But I get an email for the band leader and we talk on the phone and have the kind of conversation that makes me book a flight to San Francisco. On a bright, clear, beautiful Sunday afternoon in September, I head to San Francisco's Chinatown to meet these musicians who make a living scaring off ghosts,
2: the and, and the woman who leads the them. Uh, we're right in the heart of North Beach, but we are at the cornerstone of Chinatown. My name is Lisa Pollard Coppola. We used to set off so many car alarms. I think th- that did more to scare away the ghosts than we did, but we would smile secretly to one another when, when the drummers would shake the car alarms to the point of making them go off, and if we could get two or three in a block, we'd kind of be holding up three fingers and saying, we really did something.
0: Lisa Pollard-Coppola has been the leader of the Green Street Mortuary Band for 26 years.
2: But... Honestly, we're really about making good music, not about making car alarms go off. But we hope that we additionally do scare the evil spirits away if that's one of our points. If, if that's the reason for us to be or was ever the reason for us to be in this tradition, what difference does it make as long as we do what we're here for, which is to add some warmth and beauty to it.
0: The service in the chapel has just finished as I arrive at the Green Street Mortuary, and the band are assembling in the street out front, getting ready to begin the procession. It feels a little odd heading to the funeral of someone I don't know with a microphone. But Lisa and the funeral director Robert are incredibly warm and welcoming.
2: Hi, she made just the right she nice welcome. To nice things. to have you. Thank you. Nice. Yes. Well, your timing couldn't be more excellent. I feel really
0: The neighbourhood is bustling with people going into a matinee at the local theatre and spilling out of numerous sports bars shouting at the San Francisco 49ers playing the Patriots in the NFL. Life is bubbling along in the way that it does on a sunny Sunday afternoon. Lisa hands me a route map and some spirit money to throw for the vagabond ghosts. There's something surprisingly comforting about death being out there in the open. Part of the furniture of a Sunday afternoon, alongside football, going shopping, or going out for ice cream. Watching love and respect paid for a life lived, amongst lives being lived. Not cloistered away, hidden from view, like the boogeyman underneath your bed.
2: Well, we wait until the families have all lined up and gotten into their cars, and then we head out for one of the different routes that we take, and in this case, it's a pretty standard route. So we'll go all the way to Clay Street, mm-hmm. so it's maybe about seven, eight blocks. Yep. They're fairly long, mm-hmm. and a motor, uh, motorcycle escort clears the way for us. So we play as we go along yeah. the way, just generally Christian okay. hymns. All right? And we're pretty well set. As you see, that's a picture car. They had it custom built to accommodate the family, which is amazing. We used to have John Wayne's old Cadillac, which was pretty amazing, too. But over the years, it got waterlogged with the rains and such. And then they built this Cadillac just literally for the purpose of the family being able to come along. My goodness, they're ready. All right, good.
1: For the Chinese, uh, the funeral is still the most important life passage ritual that surpasses um, even, you know, birth, birthdays or weddings, because it's at a funeral where a uh, the deceased can become an ancestor, An individual's identity is very much tied to um, its clan uh, lineage. It's a group collective identity, you know, rather than an individual one you know just hiring a band is considered a big deal because they're they're getting so expensive now for just a half hour of marching through Chinatown so it really reflects uh, on the family that oh this family's still doing the old way you know they're not cutting corners so it it does speak of family face saving face as well as uh, prestige and status for a big-shot funeral and I, I attended a couple they would often have three, even four bands.
0: Linda investigated some other cities in North America with sizeable Chinese communities and found bands in Los Angeles, New York and Vancouver. But it wasn't the same. Some weren't able to actually march due to traffic and some can only hold funerals during the week, which affects the numbers of attendees. If you're going to have a spectacle, you need an audience. And not only is the Green Street Mortuary close to Chinatown, but Chinatown itself is in the centre of the action in downtown San Francisco. It's a destination as well as a busy corridor to pass through to get to other popular places. Chinatown itself is also dense and concentrated, so you get all these tourists, locals, and people passing through in what is the perfect staging area for a cultural performance, and the band are allowed to march on the street. All of these things make the funeral procession a highly visible and widely valued cultural practice. It is encouraged because it's part of the fabric of the neighbourhood and things would not be the same without it.
1: Music in the funeral contacts adds pomp and circumstance, as well as dignity, honour and respect, especially in the the public space, where it's performed for everyone to see and to have that public gaze. It's a great honour to the deceased.
0: I'm walking pretty fast through a bustling Chinatown starting through gaps on the footpath and somewhat struggling to keep up with the band. It's really quite something to watch them take over the already very busy street. Tourists like myself watch wide-eyed with gaping mouths and even the people going about their daily business, who've seen them pass a million times, pay reverent attention. It's extraordinary. Having fun? It's incredible. It's a behold. It's weird. The whole thing, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Deeply moving and very
3: cult- Strange cultural phenomenon, but yet one that is revered and treasured in this city. Long tradition. So. Have you
0: had any
3: particularly memorable. Um... Well, we played a couple of Mafia, Chinese Mafia funerals, so those are memorable. It's actually a lot of fun, the mob funerals.
0: A spot in the Green Street Mortuary Band is a coveted thing for a working musician. Not only is it a regular paying gig, but it keeps them literally on their toes, keeps them practicing their instrument, and the call time for processions doesn't conflict with other evening gigs. Many of the band members play with places like the San Francisco Ballet or University Symphonies, other community orchestras or teach music. Like Brian, who plays trombone.
1: I think the last time I marched was in high school, but uh, it's pretty straightforward and um... I mean this is, I think this is such a great gig because you get to meet so many people. Lisa's amazing and it's, it's a really meaningful experience. Um, and I'm not sure that there's that many uh, mortuary bands or really marching bands like this outside of New Orleans. So.
0: And this is Gabe, also trombone.
3: You won't get another gig like this, I mean, where you get to walk around Chinatown or hike or march, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I guess play at a funeral, it's kind of unique. Uh, I'm Tim Vaughn and I play lead drum. Been with the band since 1998.
2: I'm Kathy DeVoe and I play bass drum. I don't know about this person.
0: How did you, you feel about that particular service?
3: Well, we should have left out the Amen at the end, I think. Uh, something well, uh, strange happened on the Amen.
1: Did it? <laughs> yeah. I thought it went very well.
3: I mean, I feel like um, the way I was raised, it was very somber, uh, a, a funeral. And I think that this brings us about you know, halfway to the New Orleans spirit of funerals anywhere, where it's just more of a celebration or maybe the Mexican approach, where it's a little bit more celebratory of the person's life instead of simply being a very gloomy event. Though we do play some pretty gloomy tunes sometimes. Um, gloomy tunes,
1: yeah. Well, the Chopin... <laughs>
0: The yeah. Chopin at the beginning in the chapel is very serious yeah, that's and slow. Serious. Yeah. So it kind of sets the
1: mood for the whole event.
0: The tradition of a Western-style marching band playing Western music at Chinese funerals began in the early 20th century around 1911, when a group of Chinese boys from Chinatown heard an American boys' band play. They started marching along with them, fascinated by the music and wanted to learn it. Chinatown in San Francisco is self-ruling and, by arrangement with City Hall, has always been run by the Chinese Benevolent Association. The association sponsored the boys and hired a retired American naval band leader to teach them. Here's Dr. Linda Sun Crowder again.
1: And so a Chinatown institution was born. The Cafe Boys Band was a community band and they played at all kinds of occasions. And it was an amateur band. They didn't charge.
0: The band ran on tips and donations to repair uniforms or instruments, and they were hugely popular and they started playing a lot of funerals.
1: That became something that came out of Chinatown for Chinatown. And the custom continued until about the late 50s, early 60s, when the San Francisco Musicians Union wanted in on this potentially very lucrative gig, to Chinese funerals.
0: The very powerful union muscled in, and that spelled the end of the cafe boys' band.
1: That's how it was in those days. Frankly, it was pretty racist. And the Chinese really didn't count. You know, it was protecting white jobs. So that's how the Green Street and other uh, funeral homes started using union bands. And and the members, until very recently, weren't, weren't Asian at all. It wasn't a Chinatown band for a Chinatown funeral, and that's part of a cultural loss for Chinatown.
0: The union bands that were employed from that point on for Chinese services by funeral homes mostly played Western military marches and Christian hymns. Gradually, the other funeral homes in and around Chinatown closed. Recently, Lisa Pollard Coppola started playing some Chinese folk songs like this one called Wishing You Happiness at the recommendation of one of the Chinese general directors at the Green Street Mortuary, Clifford D. Apparently, Clifford was a very good liaison between the Green Street Mortuary and the Chinese community, and Lisa was keen to change the culture of the band and focus more on the experience for families.
2: I think the fact that the Green Street Mortuary has withstood so many places closing and, and does funerals in such a very professional manner, it speaks to the generation of, of keeping American and Chinese traditions alive at a time when a lot of things are lost like that. You know, where whether it's little nightclubs just not having the money to have live music or what have you.
0: But behind every great institution is a great leader, and Lisa has undoubtedly made her mark on the
1: band's legacy. And she's the one that really brought... a. T- positive attention to the Green Street Mortuary Band. And you know, she's a world-class jazz saxophonist. She played in uh Duke Ellington's band and at Clinton's sec- uh, second inauguration. She and her deceased husband John Coppola, he was a brilliant arranger and he played for a lot of the big bands. I mean, played for Sinatra and he had all kinds of connections the musicians in San Francisco. So together they had great musical arrangements. They never stopped arranging or looking for new pieces. And they got the best musicians that could be available for the funeral marches. And it really elevated the level of musicianship and started getting attention. People that knew music, they never paid attention to the processions before until Lisa and John took over.
2: My job is to keep them safe. And so far, after 26 years, we haven't ever had a a really serious accident with anybody and I think that's the most important thing we can do is all us get out of here alive for now. We do a lot to disrupt traffic unfortunately and we've had some police officers that really hated the band and tried to get rid of us, one in particular, and it was very awkward with him. But that's rare. Most of them really respect what we're doing and see it as, as part of the community and part of this important tradition and they respect it too. So we're lucky there are enough people that are on our side.
0: It strikes me that it's not just the importance of tradition and ritual, the intertwining currents of cultural backgrounds and its geographical setting that makes the Green Street Mortuary Band an
1: enduring anomaly, but also the characters. Oh, isn't she a darling woman? Oh, she's like an electric socket you can plug into her and <laughs> just an, an open heart. She, There isn't a friend she hasn't met.
0: Lisa is an incredibly energising person to be around. Her effervescent conversation is the kind you share with an old friend. She's middle-aged and has short, cropped platinum hair and wears the reflective aviator sunglasses of a pilot or captain, which look particularly sharp with her navy-coloured uniform. And she is always ready to smile or laugh. After the procession she and I sit down with a beer to talk across the road from the Green Street mortuary outside of one of the sports bars packed with 49ers fans.
2: This was my heart and soul and it was never what I had intended to do as a jazz saxophonist but it fell into my lap by the fact that I was interested in doing it well and it wasn't being done as well. And I've loved it for all these years and it's kept the lights on so to speak even
0: outside of a year shut down by a global pandemic. Increasingly, we have less chances to see live music in the streets for free. Music is happening in our headphones or behind closed doors, in venues for a ticket price, as it all should. But we drive what we hear and interact with. And I don't think that that's how it should solely work. But bringing music to the streets on a big scale that disrupts the regular traffic that commands attention, that might expose you to music you wouldn't usually listen to, that you experience with other people is an amazing and important thing for all of us. Of course, being in the streets and not cloistered in an orchestra pit or concert hall on a stage gives the musicians some interesting experiences, too.
2: I love that, actually. Um, we never know what... We've got crazy people that have, you know, thrown ice cream at the band or the picture, and but not very many, luckily. You, you get all kinds. The bulk of people, even if they're from another country, they stop and say, what is this?
0: The band has about 40 or so songs in their repertoire, most of them memorised. And being exposed to the elements affects the way that their instruments will work and sound. They show up in all weather for all services, no matter what.
2: Play them if you're sick, you play them if you're well. You know, you play if you, you go to work, whether you, you feel good or not. Sometimes the family's grief, you can feel it in the air, and it's, it's enormously powerful to you. Um, I have trouble keeping my wits about me sometimes, and there's no predicting that. And it's not just about my own personal losses of my husband or my mother. It's more about the fact that times are changing, and, and the young become the old, and the old die, die and move on.
0: Lisa's husband, John Coppola, was the band's arranger and musical director, and he was an incredibly accomplished musician. When he passed away a couple of years ago, he didn't even want a service, let alone the band, to play. He told Lisa he'd been to enough funerals in his lifetime, and despite pressure from other people, she honoured his wish. How does a person manage and process their own grief when it is their job to play a part in ritualizing loss and grief for others?
2: Oh, um, I've had to get beyond it. Uh, I've had to uh, not feel sad when my own husband's dead and I still have to come back to work and start conducting my band again. Um, but each song that brings him back to me, uh, and today we played several of them, I'm always thinking about him and how he brought that here. Uh, So the music has special meaning for me in that way. But I really understand people's grief in a different perspective than, of course, you do when you're young and you think you'll live forever.
1: It triggers memories and emotions and feelings. I would choose music that that were important in certain stages of my life. It would be a very mixed bag. I still love Amazing Grace. It's so beautiful and touching, but also maybe the song that um, was played when my husband and I got married. You know, a John Denver song, Follow Me, and um, a song that uh, really marks my adolescence my girl by the temptations. (laughs) So, you know.
2: Absolutely. I mean, what's the power of Amazing Grace? Every tradition, every family, they seem to want
1: that one song. One of my favorite songs, and I told Lisa if I die before her, she has to play this at my funeral, was one of the uh, Chinese folk songs that they arranged. It's called Wishing You Happiness. And it's a beautiful piece. And so whenever I think of that song and and the melody, it takes me right back to the streets of Chinatown and my research period there. I never
2: anticipated how much music was going to do for me in my life and that it was going to become everything I ever loved and everything I'd ever loved. It also can bring me to tears. It can take my emotions any which way. It's just, I, I couldn't imagine the world without music, frankly. Our place in all of this, why, why this matters so much, because the traditions that the Chinese are thinking about is bringing good luck to the next family, the next generation, the next world. And that's always been my goal as a teacher and as a mentor to young kids and, and professionals that have come to me
1: for help. Seeing traditional pageantry reminds you of where you you came from, what what your roots are. It also contributes to appreciating the value of traditions, whether you're from that culture or not. It helps uh, broaden people's curiosity and understanding and perhaps tolerance. And San Francisco is a very multicultural, very diverse place. So um, they embrace more different cultural expressions. And for the Chinese, it's, it's still a mark of, of respect and a tie to the, the greater Chinese culture that persisted for thousands of years. It ties back to the pride of their heritage.
0: It might sound funny, but I do picture my grandpa Leo on the other side of the gauze curtain, listening to our song for him that day at his funeral. I think of him smiling as I play Rosita Serrano, and I feel some sort of peace being made for him. But whatever the truth is, that peace is also something I feel. It's something I can carry forward in these messy, complex, despairing times of life. And that means a lot. Thanks to Dr Linda Sun Crowder, Lisa Pollard Coppola, and the members of the Green Street Mortuary Brass Band for their amazing insights and generosity for this story. Thank you to Beth Atkinson Quinton for her editorial support for this episode and for all of season one of All Ears. Without her keen ear, these episodes would be far more rambling and long-winded. Thank you to Davey Lane for his beautiful musical compositions for much of season one. You should go out and buy his new solo record, Don't Bank Your Heart On It, right now. I must also thank my aforementioned big brother, Matt Redlick for his 24-hour help desk style support, answering my random Pro Tools questions in the production of this series. I have learned a lot. And thanks to you for spending time with season one of All Ears. When we are back, you will be the first to know in the meantime, tell your friends and get in touch with us on social media or email at allearspod at gmail.com. We are thrilled to have just won a bronze award at the Australian Podcast Awards, among so many other terrific shows. And check out Broadway for more great stories.
2: Broadway. Broadway? Broadway. Broadway? Broadway.